So we're going to continue our series on fellowship uh, because the word of the Lord for Breakthrough Covenant Church for 2023 is draw near to one another, to each other. Um, uh, you know, it's easy to think that we're in relationship just because we worship in the same building on Sunday morning. But uh, that, that doesn't necessarily create relationship. That, does, that definitely does not create fellowship. And like we've talked about over the last few weeks, fellowship is partnership with one another. It's, it's not this casual thing. And I, I, I want to clarify something that I said last week. Uh, maybe not clarify, but I just want to explain it a little further. Um, if, if like your financial advisor or your accountant or your attorney is a non-believer, you, you can still use them, right? Don't get me wrong. It's better to have believers as those trusted advisors, but, but, but they don't, you don't have to have a believer, you know, telling you how to manage your money. You just want someone who knows how to manage money. Does that make sense? Now, it's better if they're saved. I remember when Stacy and I got married and we went to see her financial advisor and, you know, we're laying out our budget, figuring out how we can save more money. And he's like, oh, well, that's easy. You can save a lot more if you stop your charitable giving. And it's like, well, that's not charitable giving. That's our tithe. So that's worship. So that's not an option to stop that. Yeah, but if you do, then you can. And, and this is the results. Listen, that's not an option. Like when Stacy and I were pregnant, well, Stacy was pregnant uh, <laughs> with our son, Javen, who was stillborn. And he had all of these supposed medical issues. And our doctor is saying, ah, you know, you should terminate this pregnancy. And it's like, well, that's not an option, doctor. So, so what else? Well, he's, he's going to have all these issues and blah, blah. Termination of the pregnancy is not an option. So what else? Right. So it, it helps to have believers as advisors because they're going to understand where you're coming from more. But but you don't have to have believers as your attorney and doctor and all that good stuff. So I just I want to clarify that. Right. When we're talking about fellowship here, it's people that we're entrusting our life with and, and, and being trusted with their life. It's not these casual relationships or these surface relationships. It's, it's the, the relationships where you're going deeper, where you're exposing your inward man to them a little bit more. Amen? That's what we're talking about when we refer to fellowship. It is partnership. So we read last week from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, where it says, And do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And so obviously those two, there's, there's no connection there. There's going to eventually be conflict if you're trying to partner with non-believers. So save yourself the trouble and the heartache and just don't do it. Ask God to bring believers into your life that you can fellowship with. Ask God to open your eyes to 
those disciples of Christ that are around you that you can enter into partnership with and do life together. Amen? And so this week, I want to turn our attention to the first century church and look at how they lived because they, they, they very purposefully did life together. Now, part of that is because it was safe for them to do life together because to worship Jesus in their day and age in Jerusalem or in the nation of Israel at that time, it could cost you your life. And so there was safety in fellowshipping with one another. We're not necessarily in that place in America in 2023. So it's easy for us to not value fellowship as much. But that doesn't mean that we'll never have to face that. That's like one of the things I say to, I call them super patriot Christians. Right, who you don't know if their Christianity and their patriotism are, are actually separated. They're more passionate about America than they are about Jesus. And I tell them, listen, it's not going to be in the last day, the church and Israel and America. It's going to be Israel and the church, and the world's going to be against the church and Israel. Bottom line, if America still exists at that time, don't throw rocks at me. But if America still exists at that time, they too, we too, our nation will be against Christ and his church. The Bible's clear about that. And so what we need to do is take advantage of the opportunity and the time that we have now to preach the gospel and to lead the lost to Christ. But we can't do that if we're not in fellowship with one another. We can't do it effectively if we're not in fellowship with one another. Amen? So I'm choosing not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I'm going to try to follow the pattern to the best of my ability of this first century church that we read about in the book of Acts because they truly were in fellowship with one another. Fellowship is very, very close to covenant-level relationship. It's not necessarily the same, but it's, very, it's a very strong commitment to one another. Right? I was talking to some people yesterday we had over to the house, and I just said to them, no one can say anything negative about you in my presence. I may agree with them, but they'll never know because I'm in fellowship with you. I love you. You're my brothers. You're my sister. And, and you know, it's, it's like growing up, man. I had my best friend. His name was Jerry, and he wanted to talk trash about my little brother. I had to say, Jerry, ch chill out. That's, that's my brother. You're, you're just my friend. That's family. Well, you say it. Yeah, he's my brother. I can say it. <laughs> right? Don't you ever think you can say that about my brother. Your eye gets swollen up in here. Right? That was me as a 13-year-old. I'm not doing that now, so relax. But when you're in fellowship, you don't, you don't, you don't let just anybody say anything. Sometimes I wonder, right, like you should be cautious about those people in your life that are always coming to tell you about the stuff that other people that are in your life are saying about you. It's like, why do they feel so comfortable talking trash about me with you? Right? Think about that. Why are they always talking trash about me to you? Right? 
I, make, I, I, I mess with Doc and Renee all the time. I, I love them. They're an answer. They're, this family, this, these four people right here are an answer to prayer. And I mess with them because Doc always messes with me. It's his fault, right? I'm just giving him what he gives me. But you, 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 can't, you can't slander them in my presence. None of them. I may get frustrated with them, but I'm not telling you that. Fellowship. Amen? Let's look at the first century church in Acts chapter 2. And I'm not frustrated with them. I love them. They're a blessing. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 40. It says, and with many other words, he, it's talking about Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Because what has happened here is it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes in power and the whole city, they come together to see what's going on. And Peter begins to preach. And thousands start to get saved. Well, they, they first ask, like, what must we do? And so he responds that you should be saved from this perverse generation. What is a perverse generation? It's a warped, a cricket, you know, generation. One that is just, it's, it's off. It doesn't operate according to the kingdom of God. It's wicked. Some of the stuff that's, that, that goes on in our, in our society that is legal is actually wicked. Just because something's legal, don't, don't ever mistake that for being moral and right. It's wicked. And so Peter is saying, be saved from this perverse society that we live in because it's contrary to the kingdom of God. Why are so many in the church trying to win favor with the world and trying to fellowship with the world and trying to look like the world and act like the world. When Peter is saying, be saved from it, it's going to destroy you, right? In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, 15 through 17, listen to what the apostle John says. He says, and this isn't a suggestion, this is a command. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her or them. Don't do it. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, this is all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Now, it's interesting. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. That's what got us into the mess that we're in now that we call sin. Eve sees the, the, the fruit, not the apple, the fruit on the tree that the Lord said don't eat of it. And she sees that it's good for food and that it's appealing to the eye and then it's desirable to make one wise. Is that not the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So why would I love and yoke myself to something that is eternal, or I'm sorry, that is temporal when I'm an eternal being? 
Why are we as the body of Christ trying to love the world, trying to look like the world, even tailoring our services to appeal to the world? And I get caught up in that sometimes, if I can be honest with you. Like, man, our, our service, it needs to be 90 minutes. If we go over 90 minutes, that's a problem. But it's like, you know what? It's not. And if it is for someone, they're, they're welcome to get up and leave. We don't chain these doors. Right? If you need to leave, get up and go. But if the Spirit is moving, who am I? Who are we? Amen? To stop that, to quench it. That's the way of the world because we have our schedule like Pastor Stacy just talked about. We can't love the world. Why? Because it's perverse and it's perishing. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and we'll keep reading. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And what did they do? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and, all th- and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So they continue steadfastly in some very key things. Continue steadfastly means to give special attention to, right? Or we would say, man, pay attention to this. Or it's important that you do these things. So they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. So what are those? And that's what we're going to take the time to go through over the next few weeks. The apostles' doctrine is simply the teaching of the apostles. Doctrine is a teaching. It's the teaching of the apostles. So they gave special attention to what the apostles were teaching them. And we're going to talk here in a minute about what the apostles taught. Because we still have it. It's called the Bible. And as much as the world wants to say that's an ancient book and it's outdated and it doesn't apply, it's timeless. It deals with your past, present, and future because it's the Word of God and it's alive and it's living. Amen? So the apostles' doctrine, it's the teaching of the apostles. Fellowship we've talked about. It's the association or the, the strong partnership with one another. And, and, and fellowship should change the way that we live, Right? Fellowship should change the way that we live. You should have people in your life that challenge you to look at you honestly and make the appropriate changes. Not because they're telling you, hey, you're a jerk, but just because of the way they live, it makes you say, I ain't like that. I need to be more like that. Right? Do you have people in your life that challenge you to to, to change and to, to live differently? I, I do. I love being around them. Right? 
So fellowship, breaking of bread, breaking of bread, breaking of bread is remembering what Jesus did on the cross. We call it communion. So they, they, they participated in communion on a consistent and regular basis, and then prayer. Now, don't think a prayer is just you and your prayer closet. That's one aspect of prayer. But when you really look into this prayer that they entered into, it was corporate times of prayer and worship. And isn't it sad that in every church in America, including Breakthrough Covenant Church, the least attended event is the prayer event. And they continued in this. They paid special attention to it. Have a worship service? Man, you'll have a lot of people coming. Have a prophet come into town. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be packed in here. But say, we're going to get together to pray for an hour. All right, I'm going to do that from the house while I'm watching Daytona 500. I'm just telling you, that's how it is. I'm not casting stones at anybody, but that's the truth. And that needs to change. We can't sing songs like, I want more, and then not engage in corporate times of prayer. We can't do that. We need to be coming together to cry out to God together. Jesus put it this way. One or two, I'm in the midst of. If there's just one or two of you, I'm there. How much more if it's 100 or 200 or 500? You know, everyone's talking about this revival that's going on at this, I think it's called Ashbury College or Ashbury University, right? That's not happening in individual dorm rooms. That's because people are coming together to seek God. They're engaging in corporate prayer and worship. I had a guy say to me, hey, you know, my friend's church is, they're having a revival with the at the Rush Center in a few months, we should participate. I said, I don't think you schedule revivals. I don't think you put those on the calendar. They have in church. Let's just call it that. Let's not call it a revival. You know, revivals happen because people are hungry. Revivals happen because people are crying out to God. That's the reason why we see in the first century church God doing the things that he did. In fact, that you see what it says here, uh, and let's put verse 42 back up, Acts 2, 42. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So when we engage in what they engaged in, the awe and the reverence for God came among them. And then wonders and signs and miracles start to break out. Why aren't we seeing that, Lord? There's just not a hunger. There's pockets and there's people. But where's the corporate hunger for prayer and worship? Right? And I'm not, I'm, once again, I'm not casting stones. I'm, I'm working on a series right now on prayer and why I think so many of us don't really like it or we're, we're bored by it. It's like it's illegal to say you don't like it because you know that's wrong to say, right? So you'd never admit that, but you really don't like it. It's boring, and it's, and it's, it's because of how we're praying. 
And I don't mean like the words that we're saying. I'm saying the motive of the heart. Are we getting a download from God about this thing? Or are we just hearing someone needs prayer and we just launch into prayer? Because it's very likely that when we just launch into prayer, we're not praying according to the will of God. Amen? Amen. So they gave special attention to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and corporate times of prayer and worship. Let's deal with the apostles' doctrine today. So what is the teaching of the apostles? What is it that they taught, right? Like you can go on YouTube today and you can hear a sermon about just about anything. You can hear a sermon about how to, I don't know how anyone stands up before their church and teaches this stuff, but you can hear a sermon about how to have better sex in your marriage. You can. It's like, what in the world are you teaching that for? Some of the stuff that is being taught in churches in America it's like, like, what are we doing here? So I want to know, what is it that the apostles taught? And it's very simple. They taught about Jesus and his kingdom. Their preaching and teaching wasn't you-centered. It was Christ-centered and how you fit into his plan. Not your plan, 50 ways to live a better life, Cam, and somehow invite Jesus into that. That's garbage. That's not biblical. And then people are frustrated because I'm doing the 50 things and I'm not, giving a, I'm not getting a better life. Yeah, because you're asking Jesus to bless your mess. Not saying, Lord, I'm a mess. I need your direction. And listen, all of us, are a mess. Yes, Me more than all of you. I'm not standing up here preaching like I got it all together. I know I need Jesus. Day, moment by moment, not day by day, moment by moment. And so they taught about Jesus and his kingdom. Now I want you to think about something here. The Holy Spirit has just fallen. He's filled 120 they began to speak about the wonders, miraculous things of God and the glory of God in, in various tongues that are known by people from all over the world. They're hearing these simple people preach Christ in their own language, and some of them start mocking, some of them believe, but, but there's 3,000 souls that get added to the kingdom that day. So what they've done is they've just believed in him. That don't mean they know him. And so that's why the apostles have to spend their time teaching about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is. Because you can believe on Jesus and still not know him. Once you come to a place of faith in Christ, that's just the starting point. Now you need to spend the rest of your life, we need to spend the rest of our lives getting to know him. Does that make sense? It's not enough to just believe. I want to know him. Intimately. I don't want to know what Dan knows. So, Dan, you tell me. You, t you educate me on, no, let me dig into his word. 
Let me enter into prayer and have his presence come and reveal things about himself to me. Let him speak to me through the different challenges and circumstances and situations that I'm going through in life, right? Like I, I talk a lot about this time where Stacy and I went through a, a rough financial patch for about two years. And, and I always knew Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. I knew that God provided. But then I needed him to provide. And I intimately began to know the God who provides. I still remember showing up to, to the house one day. We didn't have food, and there's bags of groceries on our front porch, right? And I remember saying, like, Lord, thank you, but I don't like this. And he says to me, so you, you trying to tell me how to provide for you? Rather than just trust that I will provide for you? Right? We need to know him. They needed to know him and his kingdom. That's the reason why the apostles taught about Jesus and his kingdom. That's the reason why churches today need to teach about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. How can you function as a citizen of the kingdom of God if you don't even know that the kingdom exists? Some of us think it's just the church, and we don't understand the church is a small aspect of the kingdom of God. We don't know Jesus, so don't, we don't understand that Jesus wants to get profit out of our lives, not financial profit, but now you go and make disciples. You go and take back territory for the kingdom. You go and preach and set free and declare the truth of the word of God. How can we know that if we don't know him? Right? And shame on pastors and churches that don't teach about Jesus accurately. Because they'll say his name. They'll teach you about prosperity, Jesus, who wants you to be rich. But they won't teach you about the Jesus that will walk you through a time of lack just so he can show you he's provider. Just so he can correct your bad stewardship. Right? They'll talk about Jesus who, who blesses. Oh, he just pours out blessing, and he does. But they won't talk to you about the Jesus who also will walk you through the fire, protecting you while you're in it, but will walk you through the fire just to show you who he is. They don't talk to you about the Jesus who will, will lead you into trials. Oh, God would never do that, really. Read Jesus' own story. After he's baptized by John, he comes up out of the river, and it says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Why would God do that? Because he wants you to know what's in you. He already knows. He wants you to know. And without a, let me say it this way, how, how can you be a great champion if you never had to overcome any obstacles? Right? Like we, in, in boxing, uh, Muhammad Ali is known as the, the, the greatest. Well, why is that? Well, because he's defeated a lot of great boxers. You can't be known as the greatest heavyweight champion in the history of the world if you were just fighting third graders and you're a grown man. Like, no one respects that. 
well, we don't care about respect from, then, then you're, you're tripping. You should care about respect from people because that gives you influence with them. And you want to overcome great champions because that gives you rank in the kingdom so that now you can pull down strongholds. Not in your own strength, but in the authority that Jesus has allocated or delegated, delegated to you because you've won some great battles. Amen? Is this making sense this morning? They teach about this sloppy mercy and love Jesus. But not the Jesus who also is just. Listen, the Lord loves us, absolutely, but he is also just. That's the reason Jesus had to come and die on the cross, because of those two things. Because he loves us too much to live, leave us in our situation. But he's also just, and so he can't just let us go. Right? Think about any judge serving in any courtroom in the Fox Valley. If a drunk driver is driving and hits someone and kills somebody, and they just say, well, but their they're good outweighs their bad. Look at all these great things, and this is just the one thing. I'm, I'm going to let you go. We'd all be calling for them to resign because it's not just. So it is with the Lord. There has to be an account for our sin. And he loves us too much to leave us in it. And so let me send Jesus to lay down his life. The punishment will be on him. Those who place their faith in Christ and get under the blood, they get washed, not covered, washed of their sin. And now we can have fellowship again. Now we can enter into covenant. But we don't want to teach about that in the fullness. Because then that would actually have to admit, Megan, that, that we have some issues. And you don't. You're fine just the way you are. No, I am not. <laughs> right? I need to change. I'm not fine the way I am. I know all of you are, but I'm not. <laughs> so, Jesus, he definitely wants to prosper us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to know his love and his mercy but in all this, we also need to understand, like, what the Apostle Paul says. And let's flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll start reading in verses 1 and go through verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring the testimony of God. For I determined to, know, to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of man but in the power of God. I forgot to start my timer. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at. But this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Keep in mind what I'm, telling, what I'm talking about here. The Apostle's doctrine 
was teaching about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is because these new people just came into faith in Christ. Now they need to know about Jesus and his kingdom. And Paul says, when I came to you, it wasn't like with wisdom and with, with man's wisdom and persuasive words and, you know, a slick presentation. In fact, I came to you as ignorant of everything except for Jesus Christ. And even my message about Christ was about him crucified. Right? Because you need to know him so that your sins can be forgiven that you too can experience resurrection life and live in, etern live in eternity with him. I I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just telling you about who Jesus is and then by my faith demonstrating his power. You choose to believe. But what are we doing now in the church? Man, the slick presentation and you know, let's have a circus out front to draw people in and let's feed them popcorn when they get here. And let's set, let's, let's, our worship is more about creating an atmosphere than it is about ushering in the presence of God. Never mistake atmosphere for the presence of God. They're not the same thing. The presence of God changes you. It convicts you. It builds you up. Atmosphere just makes you happy for a little bit. Amen? Amen? Paul, I knew nothing except Christ and him crucified because I want your faith to not be in the wisdom of man but in the power of God. So we must, must preach Christ because there's a danger in not knowing the one in whom we have believed. You can believe if your relationship with Christ starts and stops at salvation, there's a danger in that. We all need it. That's a great starting place, but we have to grow from there. That's why we don't preach a salvation message every single Sunday. Because most of you, not all, most of you in here and watching online, you, you've made a decision to serve Christ. So the way I look at it, is my job is to do what the Bible says, equip the saints for the work of ministry. I can't equip you for the work of ministry preaching a salvation message every single Sunday. You have to start to know principles of the kingdom, right? So that now you can go out of these four walls and preach the gospel to your coworker versus Inviting them for three years, they finally come, and then hopefully he's preaching about salvation on that Sunday. I remember, remember someone saying that to my pastor. Well, you didn't give like a salvation call. And he said, you do it. You've been going to this church for 10, 15 years. You do it. Why do I have to? I'm equipping you to do it. That's my job. Right? Does that make sense? Does it sound like I'm passing the buck? Because I'm not. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Amen? So we must, we must preach Christ because there's a danger in not knowing the one in whom we have believed. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It says, then Saul, still, this, he became Paul later, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, <clears throat> went to the high priest 
and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, or what is that was called the way, now it's called Christianity, any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now listen to Saul's response. Who are you, Lord? That's very interesting. Because Saul is doing all that he's doing in the name of God. But now God shows up and Saul is saying, I thought I knew you, but who are you? I had a theological and a traditional and a religious understanding of who you are, but I've not been in relationship because I've never encountered your presence and your power. Who are you? That's why don't say, well, well my, my grandmother was a church mother. My grandpa was a deacon. And what's that got to do with you? You can't live off of the traditions of your parents. And some of those is jacked up. You know what I mean? You got to have your own relationship with the Lord. Then he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, uh, he, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do, which is really the only real response to God. What is your will, Lord? That's basically what Paul was saying. Who are you? I'm Jesus whom you've been persecuting. I repent. What do you want me to do? Right? Not Lord, hey, come down here and, and fix this. Too many believers are living like that. Right? Like Jesus is their rich uncle. Just, just send me money and, and take care. No. What is his will? And get busy doing it. That's, that's why we're here. Right? Um, <clears throat> now, what's very interesting to me is Paul is like in this place before knowing Jesus of persecuting the movement that they've been praying for for thousands of years. Think about that. The nation of Israel had been looking for the Messiah for thousands of years. He's now here. He's doing great things, and Paul's trying to stop it. Why? Because he doesn't know the Lord relationally. He has a head knowledge. He has a theological knowledge. He has a traditional knowledge. He has a religious knowledge, but he doesn't know him. I started out by saying it's dangerous to not know the one in whom we are worshiping. It can lead you off. It can get you doing things contrary to what God is desiring to do. Amen? 
Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31, and, and I'm just going to wrap up here, and I'll finish this next week. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, I think that's how you say it, uh, and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. This is interesting because they're worshiping everything. They got all these statues, right? Like you can, it, it, you can go and you can kind of see where this area is today. It's obviously in ruins, but you can see it. You can see how they're these pillars like literally set up that they had all these different idols on that they would worship. And then like to the unknown God was kind of like just in case we missed anything. To the God we don't even know. But Paul in his wisdom says, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to preach Christ. And he says, let me tell you about the one whom you worship without even knowing. Now listen to his words, because as I'm reading this, we need to take it in. Because these words that Paul is teaching to the people in Athens, it applies to us today. He says in verse 24, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of man to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. That's very interesting because you, you grope for something in the darkness, right? It's like my alarm went off this morning and it's dark in my room and I'm, I'm just I'm trying to find it to shut it off before it wakes up my wife and our new puppy. Because once that joker is up, we're all up. So let me find this and, and, and turn it off. Paul is saying that's how we are with God. We're, we're, we're trying to find God even though he's not far from us. Well, well, this imagery is very interesting because before we know Christ, we literally are in the darkness. And here's the thing about darkness. If you've always been in it, you don't know you're in it. It takes light coming to say, whoa, what is that? So man, apart from God, is in the darkness groping for God. We don't know it because we think, I just, I need more money and I'll be happy. Or I need a better career, or I'll be happy. Or I need a new husband, or I'll be happy. If my kids would just get into this college, I'll be happy. If my friends would just do what I want them to do, I'll be, if I get this car, I'll be happy. When my net worth gets, no, none of that is going to permanently fill the Jesus-sized hole in your heart and soul. So you're groping for things when the one you really need is right near you. 
Amen? That you might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own prophets have said, for we are, all, we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stones, something shaped by art and man's devising. And don't just think of a physical idol. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. This is the gospel that Paul just shared with them. He revealed to us things about God that maybe we had not considered. And I love that he says, there's a time of ignorance that God overlooks, but there's a time of judgment coming. So get your life right now. Get your stuff together now. Amen? Because he, God, is going to use his son, Jesus, to judge the world. And we will be without defense before him. Right? We'll stand before the Lord and we, we'll have no defense. Well, why? And we, we'll be silent. I, I don't, I, Right? I remember, since he's not here, I'll tell this story. Uh, Josiah, when he was little, he did something. I ain't going to tell you what he did. And I knew he did it. And so I called him into the room, and I said, hey, um, did you do so-and-so? No, Dad, I did. I said, Josiah, I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you do this? And before you answer, I want you to know I already know the answer. And he's like, he just was silent. He just, he, I, I have no defense. I said, go to your room, right? He's probably like, praise God, I just have to go to my room. He's not going to spank me. That's how we'll be before the Lord. There'll be no buts. But, Lord, you don't understand what I said. But, Lord, you don't understand how the church hurt me. Oh, but, Lord, you don't. No. This is the apostles' doctrine. This is what we need to know and preach. Because there's a whole world, a whole generation. We just read it. This generation is perverse. But you and I are in it. To not be of it, but to be in it, to be a light so that those who are groping in the darkness after money and fame and recognition and influence and power, we can say, no, you're reaching for the wrong thing. It's Christ. He's been here the whole time. 
anyone else have my testimony that now that I've been saved 20-something years, I can go back to when I wasn't saved and be like, God was in my life then. That was the voice of God then. That was God's hand on my life then. Because he's not far from any of us. Stop groping for other things. I just want more. God, I want more. I want more of you. Amen? So next week, we're going to start to look, we're going to finish up looking at the Apostles' Doctrine and what that's all about. And then we're going to start to look into how they uh, broke bread and what breaking bread is all about. So I encourage you this week to...